Welcome to the Fantasy NBA Today podcast. Good day, everyone. Good morning. Good afternoon. Wherever you may be hanging out. It's 1020 where I am on the West Coast, Wednesday morning. And it's Fantasy NBA Today. My voice is still a little banged up. Uh, again, I really just... I don't go too far into it, but this uh, on Monday was like the first time that I've been to a very crowded restaurant in a long, long time. It's not COVID-y. I mean, I know that was part of it, but just like there hasn't really been an opportunity to do so. So my voice is uh, a little bit on the mend today. You guys can probably hear that. Um, hoping that it'll be back to mostly full strength by tomorrow, but we'll see. I seem to have uh, strained it pretty good. But anyway... We rumble along. Uh, today is uh, midweek. It's September the 6th. We're very much in count-up mode. I think I saw a post yesterday that it's like under 50 days until the start of the NBA season, which is just lovely news because I think I badly need it. You guys can see that I have medication in the background here. We'll move that out of screen for those watching on YouTube. For those watching on YouTube, please take a moment to click that thumbs up and subscribe to our YouTube page. For those listening, please do drop a five-star review on the pod. It would mean the world to me. Or also, you could just come hang out with us on YouTube.com slash Sports Ethos. The uh, NBA Draft Guide is officially out at Sports Ethos now. You can get that at SportsEthos.com. It has something like 50 pieces uh, of information in it already, and more things are going to be added every single day. I'll get more info for my next promo read on exactly what's in there already. But you're going to want to get the NBA Fantasy Pass. That's $6 a month. That'll have the B-150 in it uh, in early October. Um, it'll have the projections in it around there. It'll have the points league rankings and all that good stuff. So uh, NBA Draft Guide is out. I can't show the usual gusto I would while promoing the Draft Guide because my voice is beat to hell. But trust me when I say it is going to be out freaking standing. So go get one of those right now. Topic of today's show is the second round. Yesterday, we talked about the first round and basically how I'm actually lining these players up. I felt like it was kind of, I don't want to say that I was doing you guys a disservice uh, by breaking down every single player one by one, but it kind of was, again, an incomplete was the way that I thought was best to describe it. It was an incomplete because I was giving you an argument on every single player I was giving you reasons to either draft or not draft every single player. And sure, on many of them, I would say this is somebody that I value a little bit higher. This is somebody that I value a little bit lower. And you could kind of put the pieces together on your own. But my job is not to make you guys do a bunch of work on your own. My job is to simplify fantasy basketball. And so yesterday's show, today's show are very much about how to simplify what we've talked about over the last couple weeks on the first and second round of draft boards right now. For those watching on YouTube, you are seeing effectively uh, the second round by ADP. It's actually, I need to change the way the draft board is sorted right now. As you heard yesterday, LaMelo Ball was the tail end of the first round. The second round runs from Anthony Edwards, then Jaron Jackson Jr., Kyrie Irving, Devin Booker. It's kind of like that first four Donovan Mitchell has now officially passed Mikhail Bridges. Those are the first six names in the second round. And then the back six in the second round, Damanis Sabonis, Freddie Van Vliet, Desmond Bain, James Harden, Trey Young, and Lowry Markkinen. 
before you inch into the front end of the third round. And yes, there is a bit of overlap there. LeBron James and Larry Markin and have uh, effectively the same ADP right now. Um, but that's kind of where things sit at the second round. YouTubers can see that I've highlighted the 12 names just to make life a little bit simpler while we're talking about them. Over the past, again, I think it's about two weeks, we've gone through each one of these players, all the way from Ant down to Markkinen, and tried to kind of not so much bucket them for ourselves, the Dan Bespers buckets, which you know we're kind of doing that yesterday and today, and I'm not going to... Do I'm not gonna like write out all the buckets for you guys because it's a it's a a moving target as ADPs shift and players start to go at different junctures. You kind of have to take them at different junctures. But I will start by reminding everybody that your rank list, if you're gonna make one, is not your the same thing as your draft board because they kind of have to come together with the whole game theory element of this of understanding when everybody else is going to make their moves and that influences when we need to make ours. But that said, this 12 list, this list of 12 players, the the ADP 13 through 24 board that we're talking about today and some of you are looking at with us here today, we're just going to treat that as the second round for today's episode. So my goal today is to give you guys a guideline as to how I would actually draft these 12 players. Yesterday, Luka Doncic, for instance, was actually a really good example of this. Luka was someone that I would draft more in that 6-7 to seven range, even though his 9-cat ranking is likely to be just outside the first round, like it was last year. You are... He has a value that's not built just on his actual rank spot. Because it's all, like, the down for Doncic is almost entirely tied up in one category. It's free throws. It's one you can overcome. He's also a very easy player to build around. He's much easier to build around on the head-to-head side because he has such elite performance numbers in basically, like, four or five categories. That's a really easy thing to build around on the head-to-head side. And his weaknesses are easy to either lean into and head-to-head, or even in Roto, you can kind of paper over them a little bit. But that's why Luka is better than his 16 ranking from last year. But it's also why I don't want to draft Luka at 3, where he's going this season, because there are, in my opinion, guys, that are equally easy to build around where you don't necessarily have to throw a category away away at the top of the board. That's a strategy we're going to be employing here in the second round as well. As we look at these 12 players, we're going to say, okay, well, here's the order I would draft them in, draft them in, or here's the order that I think they're going to be ranked at the end of the year. Those things are not the same. That's the main point here. The order that I think someone might be ranked at the end of the year is not necessarily the order that I'm thinking about drafting that player. Let's just start getting into some of these names again today, and we'll kind of, again, highlight again and again and again and underline and bold and whatever, that main point, because I think it's going to come up more here in the second round than it did in the first, where almost everybody in the first round has the same issues. First round is like a bunch of high-octane dudes who didn't play that many games last year, with the exception of Jason Tatum, pretty much. 
you had Embiid with all the upside, and Halliburton has some upside, and Shea has upside, and Giannis is the punt guy, and Kevin Durant, and Anthony Davis, and blah, 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 blah. The, the, the red flags for the first round were, I don't want to say fully uniform, but there were a lot of similarities. I want to remind everybody, by the way, if you're tuning in on YouTube, you can throw stuff in the comments section. I'll try to get to it at the end of the program. So the beginning of the second round, we've seen these names before. Anthony Edwards, Jaron Jackson Jr., Kyrie Irving, Devin Booker. Those four guys are generally going towards the front end of the second round. I don't have huge issue with kind of where some of these guys are going, but I will say that my personal second round board is not really the same as the way these ADPs are lined up. In in the first round, I'm not that far off of the way the names are situated. You guys heard on yesterday's show, I'm a little bit higher on, say, Tyrese Halliburton and Shea Gilgis-Alexander than the ADP board might list. I'm a little bit lower on Luka because of I play a lot of 9-cat. I play a lot of Roto, where you don't want to abandon a category right out of the shoot like that. And the back end of the first round, you've got the Dame, Kevin Durant, Anthony Davis stuff. There's a lot of pieces to weigh that makes it kind of about math. Second round is, I actually think, a little bit less about math. Because as we take the aggregate of these names, there's, in my opinion, really only one second round name, if you want to call it that, these 12 names I just listed, that I think has a better than 50% shot of finishing this year with first round nine category per game production. One. That one, for me, moves to the top of the board, despite all of the red flags that go along with him, and that player is Kyrie Irving. Kyrie Irving uh, was number nine last year. He's going to be playing alongside Luka Doncic, but he's very much played alongside high-volume guys before. His role is not going to be all that different. Um, Yes, usage is a big key for him because he's a high-percentages dude, but he's also quite good at steals and blocks for a guard, and his turnovers are not all that high, so that helps him as well. We've seen Kyrie Irving go on long stretches where he's a top three, top four per game guy. He tends to settle in the first round. And the rest of these guys, in fact, only one other guy on this list of 12 names actually finished last year in the first round, and that's Jaron Jackson Jr., who is actually a really difficult player to build around regardless of format. So for me, my first pick of the second round is Kyrie Irving. I'm actually comfortable taking him at the end of the first round, frankly, and if you get stuck with, you know, pick 11, 12, 13, I guess 12, 13 would be the same, 11... 14, that kind of thing. Ending up with Kyrie on one of those is, I think, a really nice win. He has a pretty, he has a reasonable case to go in front of LaMelo Ball. He has a reasonable case to go in front of Giannis if you're not punting. He has a case to go in front of Kevin Durant, who's been more banged up than Kyrie lately. I don't think I would do that, but there are cases to be made. It's a much easier case to, to make once you get to pick 12, basically, where you're like, okay, Do I go LaMelo Ball, who's basically a punt field goal guy? That's why he was down near 30 last year. He moves up into the top 15 if you get rid of that category. Do I go Jaron Jackson Jr., who's basically a first-rounder because he lapped the field twice in blocks? 
but everything else was kind of meh. Do I go Anthony Day uh, Edwards because we think he's taking a step forward based on what we're seeing in the FIBA stuff, uh, and he's quite durable, or do we accept that perhaps his percentages continue to stay kind of clunky, uh, and he's more of a guy that gets a boost in points leagues because all of his good categories are the ones that points leagues tend to ignore. Do we go Devin Booker? Uh, there's this this groundswell about how his assists are going to go from five and a half to like ten. Not going to happen, friends. Seven is, I think, within reach for him, like a Damian Lillard assist type of year who had 7.3. Uh, but Dame also scored 32 points to go along with his 7.3 assists because he had nobody else on his team that was willing to do much of anything. Such is not the case for Booker, who has two teammates that are more than willing to take 20 shots around him. And Booker's a high percentages guy. So lack of usage there is is critically bad for him. Maybe assists do go up, but if he loses a few points in scoring, and threes are already not a big number for him, but if his field goal percent is a positive, that diminishes. If his free throw percent diminishes in, in efficacy, what's left? He's not a big rebounder. The assists could get too good, but not great. It's not going to be 10, guys. I'm sorry to tell you this. There aren't that many dudes in the NBA that can average 10 assists, and the ones that do are better passers than Devin Booker. And he's been dinged up. I don't know that there's a reason to just assume that goes away. Folks, picture this nightmare scenario. You're hosting friends for the big game. It's neck and neck in the fourth quarter, and suddenly you realize you're out of drinks. Ooh, say all of your friends. You start to sweat. Your friends turn on you. You're forced to go on a last-second drink run and end up missing the game-winning touchdown while in line. Oh, no. Terrifying, isn't it? Luckily, you can avoid the drama with Drizzly, the go-to app for drink delivery. With Drizzly, you can shop a huge selection of beer, wine, and spirits then get them delivered right to your watch party. Compare prices across multiple stores in your area, find the best deals on game day drinks, and get back to armchair quarterbacking from, you guessed it, your armchair. Download the Drizzly app or go to drizzly.com. That's D-R-I-Z-L-Y.com today. Must be 21 plus, not available in all locations. So when I look at the second round, even though, here's the, me coming back to my point because we get sidetracked a little bit on this show, such is the Dan Bespris way of getting violently sidetracked on what we talk about on a podcast. When I look at the second round, I'm not separating it into two or three mini groups the way that the ADP board has kind of done. Because the ADP board has separated this into a first four, which was Anthony Edwards, JJJ, Kyrie, and Devin Booker. Then there's a gap. There's honestly, there's a gap between Kyrie and Booker. And he almost has his own little window there, but he pushes closer to the upper part of that. Then you've got the next grouping, which is Donovan Mitchell through Trey Young. And then Larry Markinen is really more a part of the next group of players. And this, that's the way we talked about it on the podcast as well. So that shouldn't be a big surprise to you guys. Other than Markinen who there's like no chance I'm going Larry Markkinen in the first few picks of the second round. 
I think there's a reasonable case to be made that any of the first 11 guys I just listed could be your early second round pick. Like, there's... I don't think that it's a guarantee. Anthony Edwards is going six, seven, eight picks ahead of a guy like uh, Desmond Bain this year or nine picks ahead of... Let's not use Trey Young. Eight picks ahead of James Harden. Uh, I think that Anthony Edwards might finish towards the back end of all of these guys on a per-game basis if even he gets to that. He was number 40 last year on averages of 25 points, six boards, four and a half assists, 2.3 combined defensive stats, and almost three three three-pointers a game. There isn't, friends, that much more he can be asked to do offensively other than fix his percentages. He was already the guy doing all the stuff. 19 and a half shots per game. It's not like he's going to go to 22 of them on a team that also has the other options that team has. Maybe he goes up to like 20.2. Like Devin Booker last year was at 20.1. Do we think Anthony Edwards eclipses last year Booker usage? Is he getting up to Luka level? I don't think so. How far can Anthony Edwards really move on additional things to do. I just don't think there's that much more for him to do. It's got to be efficiency. It has to be. And you know my stance on this. I'm fine with people that want to try to sort of get out in front of that efficiency stuff. I prefer not to make the bet on somebody fixing percentages. I'd rather go with a guy who I know has already done so. Or is already doing the things that I want them to do. I don't need them to necessarily change considerably to be the pick for me. So I'm not that high on Anthony Edwards from a strict, strictly, let me, someone's going to take that first part and clip it out and be like, Dan, you ass. I am, from a fantasy, nine-cap fantasy standpoint, I am not hyper bullish on Anthony Edwards, at least not enough to get him to pick number 13, even though he is a durable sort. I appreciate the durability. Thing is, after we rolled through a first round where durability was at an insane premium and Jason Tatum was the only player who showed any signs of it, you actually have a few choices in the second round of guys that generally stay on their feet. Trey Young, very durable. Demonis Sabonis, very durable. Mikhail Bridges, epically durable. And Anthony Edwards, pretty durable. So you have four guys in the second round that you would probably classify as kind of having that 10th category we talk about on the show. 10th category being durability. If you're new to the program, welcome. We love to have you. And then you had other guys in the second round that weren't complete disasters from a health standpoint. Donovan Mitchell was up there in that same kind of like uh, Jokic, Shea range of games played last year. Um, Freddie Van Fleet was somehow in that same range. Uh... JJJ missed the first, whatever it was, five, six weeks with an injury, and he generally played his games after that. So I don't want to say that he's a healthy sort, but he showed it towards the second, what do you want to call it? Second uh, 80%. <laughs> Thanks, Yogi Berra. The last 80% of last season. The guys in the second round that are big-time injury risks are James Harden, who's old, Kyrie, who... uh it's actually less injured than he is just kind of flaky. Um, 
But if you remove the trade stuff and the end of season tanking, Kyrie was also kind of right in that same Donovan Mitchell, you know, mid to high 60s grouping. And so you're really only looking at one, maybe one and a half guys in the second round as, oh, is this guy a per game upside? But oh, my Lord, kind of should I be shaking in my boots? Are they going to miss half the season kind of risk? That makes it, I feel, a little easier to not necessarily exclusively target the durable dudes, but to give them some kind of small bump. I know, Dan, deep into the weeds again, get to the damn point. Here's how I look at these players. I already told you guys Kyrie Irving is at the top of my second round board because he's the one guy on this list that I feel could be a top eight per game player. I don't think anybody else on this list comes really even all that close. I'm talking about nine cat. No punting, no build stuff. Just strict rank. Kyrie is likely to be the highest among this board. The next grouping, if you want to call it that, of guys on a per-game basis on this list also need to be in that next group along with any players you deem very durable that you also think are second-rounders on a per-game basis, along with a third contingent of guys that are extreme build-based picks that you know won't come back to you at a later time. That eliminates, as we've already talked about, Lowry Markkinen. That eliminates James Harden, who's horrifying right now. If we know where he's playing then you can go back and you can tweak this episode of the podcast. And he moves up towards the top of this, this group. But you can eliminate Larry Markin, and Right now, you can eliminate James Harden. You can probably eliminate Freddie Van Vliet because his role is likely to decrease. And he's also been a little bit dinged up over the years. And I believe you can eliminate Devin Booker. Which, you know, shoot me for this later. If Booker has like a top 15 per game season, you guys can definitely come back and you'd be like, Dan... You took a dump on that call. That's fine. We got to plant our flag somewhere. I can't hem and haw about everybody. That leaves generally the rest of the names that we talked about. And so now it's about lining them up. Oh, by the way, for me, it also eliminates Anthony Edwards because I'm not going to trust that he fixes both percentages in one offseason. So that leaves... Okay, we've eliminated a bunch. Kyrie's already at my number 13 slot, so not talking about him either. That leaves JJJ... Donovan Mitchell, Mikael Bridges, Demonis Sabonis, Trey Young, and Desmond Bain. I'm going to take Desmond Bain out of that chunk, even though I actually really like him a lot. I think that he does belong in this range, but I also think that we've kind of priced him out a little bit. But he's a good percentages dude. He'll get you threes without tanking your field goal percent. Excellent free throw shooter. Should have increased usage this coming season that probably pushes him into that 20 range, but then Jaw's going to come back and things are going to get a little bit weird. Um, and I kind of want to see him last through the season healthy. So when I say eliminate, it just means push him more towards the back end of the second round right now. So what do we do between the names I just listed? How do you line them up? For me... The next one is probably the guy that I believe is kind of like the, and I'm going to make the Mario Kart uh, reference on the pod again, the guy who's just sort of like good at all the things, but probably not going to kill you everywhere. That's Donovan Mitchell. I'm totally fine with folks taking him as early as 14 in drafts. 
even though he probably doesn't get there, he was 15 per game last year, and that's probably about as good as it could ever get for him. He has a really nice floor. High floor, not always out on injury. He's going to miss games here and there on a pretty good team, but Cavs are going to want playoff seeding, so they're not going to rest him excessively. And he gives you stuff across the board. He's not awful, really, at anything. Even if there is slight erosion for him this coming season. So Kyrie goes first for me in the second round. Donovan Mitchell likely goes second for me in that second round. Now I believe that the decision gets a little bit harder. When you're deciding between someone like Trey Young, who in 9-cat is nowhere to be found on this board. He's way the hell down there. He was number 49 last year. But he's a build guy. Roto, I'm not doing Trey Young at this juncture. I know the assists are extraordinarily juicy, but I just don't want to have to build around the worst turnover player in the NBA, who also uh, is a not a punt field goal percent guy, but pretty damn close to that, and just extraordinarily weak in a couple of categories. In head-to-head, that that's fine because he's so good in a couple, but in Roto, you just... I don't think you want to spend your second-round pick on someone who's really, really bad in a couple of things, if possible. Sometimes it's unavoidable. So push him down a little bit farther. But what does that say about someone like JJJ? Would I, I didn't want to take him in the first round. Would I take him with sort of an early-ish second-round pick? So the answer there for me is actually probably a yes. I don't know that he's necessarily the guy that I would put at 15. I think... Uh, Sabonis and Mikhail Bridges have really good claims to be in that range because of their ability to stay on the floor, especially given you probably had to take someone very risky at the tail end of the first round, like a Kevin Durant or an Anthony Davis, or if you're talking about the turn, maybe you took Kyrie. You kind of want to balance that with somebody you know who's going to be out there playing 74 or more ball games, or you certainly hope, based on precedent, that's the way it shakes out. But I do think, JJJ, you do kind of have to come back to the rank board a little bit here and say, look, I know he's not a world beater in points, and he's not that great of a rebounder, and they'll have Steven Adams back for likely the season this year, so that might even hurt him in rebounds a little bit. Uh, His field goal percent is fine, but not spectacular. His free throw percent is not that great. JJJ is just sort of like league average in basically everything, Uh, doesn't get assists, but is a world beater in blocks. But taking him in the second round, even though it's hard to build around, you do basically take care of, and I know people are like, look, you can't just take one guy and say you're going to win a category. No, obviously, because someone out there might have like Nick Claxton and another guy who blocks shots. But you don't need to focus on it. You can almost just say, look, I'll get some blocks as I go with with Jaron Jackson Jr. And as long as I get someone the rest of the draft who's kind of like decent at it, then I'm in pretty good shape. The case for Mikael Bridges and Demonis Sabonis there is, again, getting them out on the court. It's hard for me to say, go that route. Because at the end of the day, JJJ probably ends up as a higher ranked player than Sabonis or Mikael Bridges. But with so much of that being tied up in the one category for Jaron Jackson Jr. The argument on the Sabonis Bridges side is say, well, you know, you sort of get more stuff across the board. So I'm really torn on pick 15, basically. And you could kind of call it a three-way situation 
where you make the decision based on what you got in the first round. Like, if you have Kevin Durant in the first round, terrific across-the-board guy, might not survive more than 55 games this year. You just sort of, like, put your hands together and hope. But does block shots and is a terrific free-throw shooter, you can probably get away with going Sabonis there. Cover up some of the rebounding with Demonis Sabonis. Lock in field goal percent with that combination at the front end of your draft. Uh, you've got points from KD likely this year, so Sabonis being a lower scoring guy, not compared to JJJ, but likely compared to someone like Mikhail Bridges, that's not a big deal. You can get steals later in the draft, uh, and I don't know that any of these guys is going to be a monster in steals because I think we saw Bridges take that efficiency step back with the volume going up. Uh, but look, KD's free throw number more than counterbalances Sabonis. That's the only thing you're looking at there. So your team is pretty good in basically everything with those two. But uh, let's say that instead you're sitting on, I don't know, at the back end of the first round, uh, I don't want to say LaMelo Ball because some of these guys I might even consider taking over LaMelo. But let's say you have LaMelo Ball. Do you go... Bridges and kind of lean into the fact that Ball's not a field goal percent guy, or do you go JJJ and take care of another category? I think a lot of it is settings dependent at this juncture. Head to head, maybe you like JJJ more because you can lean into particular categories. Roto side, I probably like Sabonis the most there because he's good at a bunch of stuff, and those first rounders being so excellent at free throw shooting, that basically papers over Sabonis' big weak spot. I don't care that Demonis doesn't hit the three-pointer and JJJ hits 1.6 and uh, Bridges will probably hit three this year. I'll deal with that joint later. I probably have Bridges towards the back of that group, for whatever it's worth, that, that trio, but he is likely in front of some of these other guys. So that's 15, 16, 17 on the second round. Trey Young is probably at 18 for me on head-to-head. Roto, I'm probably just not going the Trey Young route in the second round. We'll deal with him the way we dealt with Giannis in the first round, although Giannis is a bigger injury risk than Trey Young. Uh, he, Trey is a terrific mid-second round play if you're punting specific stuff, and if you're not, he's likely to be a disaster for you. So uh, kind of wash him out, but um, put him in the middle of the second round. And then you get into that... Uh, secondary group, which is still, by the way, Devin Booker, Desmond Bain, Freddie Van Vliet, James Harden. Sorry, Larry Markkinen, you are very much at the end of this. You're not passing anybody on my board. So now you're basically at pick 19, where I start to feel a little bit less crazy about Devin Booker, but I still don't think I'm taking him there. I think at 19, I'm probably going James Harden and just hoping for the upside hit. I don't think I can draft him right now. I know. <laughs> I know, Harden was number 17 last year. My assumption, look, if he goes to the Clippers, you're going to get burned on that one. But if he goes to most other places, he probably can do roughly what he did in Philadelphia this last season. And then there are a couple of spots where he would likely get to do more. So if you, if Harden falls to you at 19, you almost kind of have to. It's the kind of have to spot and then just hope that he stays upright uh, because you are leaning into that per game thing. And also, if he falls to you at 19, your pick in the first round probably is less of an injury-prone mess. You've now moved back into guys like Shea, 
or Tatum or Halliburton or whatever who probably play in more games this coming season than guys like AD and Kevin Durant. Uh, I have Desmond Bain probably in front of Freddie Van Vliet this coming year, um, but that one is extraordinarily close. I, I, you know, we you see stretches for Bain where he's he has the bumped usage and he is very much a top twenty guy. The fear there, of course, is that what happens to him when Ja comes back. I think Freddie Van Vliet is going to be tasked with leading this Houston team. I don't know that he gets sixteen shots a game this coming season with guys that are very offensive-minded around him. So those two are kind of like ships passing in the night a little bit. Um, So I, I probably just go with the younger one there, unless you really do want the assists bump that you get from Freddie Van Vliet. Uh, and then for me, Booker falls in with that group as well, where I, I don't know that there's necessarily a, a, a great or uh, imperfect option. Booker and Bain are have extraordinarily similar stat sets. Bain was at 22 points, five boards, four and a half assists, a steal, 0.4 blocks, and 48-88 splits last year with three three-pointers. Booker, who, uh, by the way, was ranked just six slots ahead of him, was at 28 points, four and a half rebounds, difference of half a rebound, five and a half assists, difference of one assist, the same number of steals, basically the same number of blocks, and 49-86 splits, with only two three-pointers instead of three. They are what we refer to on this podcast as the shooting guard build. Now, uh, Booker might get an extra assist, assist and a half this year. Bain probably gets more also early in the season. I know Marcus Smart is going to be the point guard, but Bain's going to be doing a lot of initiating when Jaws out. If you're going between Bain and Booker and Freddie Van Vliet, you line them up however the hell you want. I don't know that any has a huge edge in durability. I would probably trust Bain a little bit more than the other two on the game's played front. Uh, maybe you go Booker over Bain because of the little assist edge. Van Vliet maybe gets a bump over both because of the steals that he brings forward. But I think you could go with any one of those three in that last group, uh, and I would generally be okay with it. So, uh I hate the expression gun to head, but if that's the direction you're going to go with this thing, then I forget what number pick away. 21, 22, 23, I think is what we're at here. Uh, then I probably go Booker, Bain, Van Vliet in that order. And then you move to the next chunk of players, which effectively for us here is de facto Laurie Markkinen because he's the... Uh, the last player on this list of 12 that we're talking about, but you could make a very reasonable case that to go with someone like Cat or Kawhi if you're in Roto or Jimmy Butler in Roto or whatever. So it's not locked in, but again, since we're just talking about these 12 guys, then it sort of, again, by default becomes Larry Markinen. So that's kind of the way that my second round actually lines up. If you're going to put all those pieces together, um, the main thing for me here is that I am absolutely chasing that upside at the beginning of the second round because that guy, one single guy, Kyrie Irving, won't be there by the middle of the second round. You can't you can't just go durability when a guy that could go top seven, top eight per game is still on the board. And a guy that's a top seven, top eight dude, because he's really good in a lot of different stuff. It's not the JJJ phenomenon. So Donovan Mitchell up also near the top. JJJ, 
uh, in that kind of next group with Sabonis and Mikhail Bridges, who, again, I think I probably like Sabonis as the most of that chunk. Uh, then Trey Young is kind of his own weird little story by himself because of his the way his stats are built. James Harden is your next sort of upside play, kind of also by himself. And then the Booker, Bain, Freddie Van Fleet group towards the back end of that second round. We'll get some questions here in the YouTube chat room. Uh, but before we do, again, a reminder, please do take a moment to drop that uh, five-star review on the pod or like and subscribe on YouTube. I love seeing the uh, YouTube page growth over the last few weeks here with the football stuff, the basketball stuff. Warms my heart. And, of course, that'll uh, keep us doing things over here. I I I'm going to ramp it up, by the way. This week uh, and maybe even a little bit of next week are tougher for me just because of uh, family stuff, the little dude starting preschool, so they've got partial days this week as it kind of revs up to full build. Next week, my wife is out of town for half the week, uh, and our childcare, which is normally like grandparents and a nanny. The nanny's here, but the grandparents are not, so... Uh, I don't know if I'm going to be able to fit in as many live YouTube shows as opposed to like, oh, I got 20 minutes, record a podcast, and that'll get thrown out on Fantasy NBA Today. Uh, so for those that are watching on YouTube, Fantasy NBA Today will have all of the stuff that we do here and probably a little bit more sometimes just based on scheduling. But I'm going to try the best I can to get as much as I can on YouTube as well. Let's do some questions here. I will uh, shrink this draft board I'm going to leave it up, though, just so you guys can... Actually, there's probably no point in me leaving this up, so we'll just go back to my face. Yikes. Always terrifying to see it. Migo says, any tips when drafting in deeper leagues like 16 teams? Yeah, I, you know, I'm more inclined to punt the deeper the league I'm in. Because the odds of getting guys that are very good at all nine categories are just so low. Um, you know, one miss hurts you even more in a deeper league. So uh, draft a little safer... I mean, you still got to chase some upside so that you can clobber some people when you can. But you want to draft a little safer, and you probably want to look at at even a soft punt. Doesn't have to be like a hard Giannis punt, but a soft punt is uh, I'm more likely to lean into that. Uh, let's see. Definitely don't think Booker is averaging ten assists, but feel like he's a good bet to play the most games of him, Beal, and Durant. Um, yeah, I think I'm on board with that. I'm on board with, with Booker take, playing the most games out of the big three there. Dembirds also says probably takes the most shots of those three, too. See, now, I don't know about that if he's actually running what they say. is. I knew they said Beal was the point guard on that team. I think ultimately they're going to have to pick somebody up that can just sort of hand the ball to the other three guys on that club. Um, and it might be Booker, but it's probably going to be like 18 and a half 18.7, 18.1 kind of thing. Like, looking back at the Warriors when it was Durant and Steph and Clay, and they basically all took, like, 17 or 18 shots apiece. JL says, I have no idea who to build around with the ninth pick. It's a 9-cat, 10-teamer, so you'll get a pick coming back quickly here. Do I go Giannis with the punt? KD, the upside. LaMelo, also a little bit of a punt. Kyrie, AD, tough to pick so late. Yeah, you're right, especially now because you don't have the durable second-round guys on the way back to you in this spot. You're actually still in the huge upside, super-scary first-rounders. Uh, ninth pick in—doesn't say if this is Roto or head-to-head. -head. Nine pick in head-to-head, -head, you can't go all-risk. Um, so you probably go—I mean, maybe you go— 
maybe you lean into the free throw thing and go like Giannis and Anthony Davis there. AD's not great at free throw, but he certainly isn't. I mean, he's not going to hurt you a ton, but he's also not helping you. If this is Roto, I'm probably going Durant and Anthony Davis, and I'm just like kind of shooting the moon because if those guys are hit, your team is a, is a damn juggernaut. Head-to-head, you've got like no hope of having them upright come playoff time. You might even just want to treat it like a 12-teamer uh, and either go Giannis and like a like Sabonis in the second and take Sabonis early in the second round, uh, or go Lamelo and go Bridges in the second round and just like make sure you've got someone durable to cover up what's happening in the first. But Roto, freaking have at it, man! Take two risky dudes because and hope that they hit and play a bunch because even if they miss a few extra games, they they'll do so much for your team when they're upright that they will kind of carry you a little bit. By the way, it was suggested by our good buddy Andre here at Sports Ethos that I do a show comparing how I take a head-to-head list and turn it into a roto or back and forth. So we'll probably do one of those uh, relatively soon. Uh, Benjamin says, why are people so high on picking Freddie Van Fleet? Well, because he was number 19 last year and he played in 69 ball games, uh, which was actually better than league average, sadly, near the top of drafts. Um... So last year, Freddie Van Fleet was actually number 11 by totals. That's why. And Houston gave him $40 million, and he's going to go play for them. Like, they're not going to bring him in to do nothing. So even if there's a slight erosion on the per-game side, he's going to have a good fantasy year. It just might not be, like, early to mid-second round. It might be more super late second kind of thing, but I don't think he falls too far beyond that. Next question. It's funny how hated Trey is that his durability doesn't launch him into the late first, early second chance, but for a guy like Tatum launches him to three or four. It's not a hated thing, man. I like everything we do on this podcast is is math for the most part. Trey Young by totals was number thirty-two last year because of a weakness. Three weaknesses, basically. He never blocks a shot, which I get it. You don't need a block out of your point guard, but it'd be nice to get more than like six an entire season. He was basically a punt field goal guy, and he had the highest turnovers in the league last season. So if you're playing nine cat, that's three, maybe even four, because he basically doesn't rebound at all either. And he doesn't shoot as many three-pointers as you'd think. He was weird. His three-point shot was awful last year. Maybe that does bounce back this season. So it's not a hated thing with Trey. It's that he's very much a team build kind of guy. He's extraordinary at assists. Very good at scoring, very good at free throws, but he has glaring weaknesses. And at the top of a draft board, when you're trying to compete in all nine categories, it's very hard to take those three big weaknesses with a second round pick. So, uh, you know, another post here that says his ranking is artificially depressed because of high turnovers. It's not just the turnovers, guys. It's not. There are a lot of guys who had 3.6, 3.6, 3.9. Like, Jokic had 3.6 turnovers per game. He was the number one player in fantasy basketball. Okay? That's not the only thing happening here. I need everybody to to sort of take one step back. Trey Young does get better when you're punting turnovers, but he's still number 24 in 9-cat. It's that dichotomy of being very bad at four things, and very good at three things. I don't hate Trey Young. He's a very good head-to-head build kind of player, but his rank in Roto is what it is. 
by totals in eight cat last year. So punting turnovers, he did creep into the back end of the first round. So you make some tweaks, you can get him there. But again, that's what a build guy is. You're eliminating a category that I'm talking about nine cat here. He's a build guy. And that's why you can take a mid-second round. Because as a build guy, he works great. Hey, Dan, at what point in a snake draft do you take a player because they are being passed up and dropping even though they do not fit your team's build? Um, I'm quite comfortable with it, actually, because I like midseason trades. I'm actually very comfortable with uh, trading guys down midseason to get a dude who has a super high kind of ROI for my team. This is a hard discussion to have in a quick uh, YouTube chat. But, you know, you're looking for guys that are sort of like a perfect fit. And the beauty of doing a midseason trade where you're trading a higher-ranked player for a lower-ranked player is that you now know exactly what that lower-ranked player is going to provide to your basketball team. And if so, if you can isolate someone who's just the perfect fit for your team, you can go get them. Whereas on draft night, there are still a lot of question marks as to who's the right fit for your team. Something goes wrong, blah, blah, blah. So um, if it's a player I like, I should specify this. If the player that's dropping is a player I like and they like slipped to me, but I wasn't sort of expecting to have them uh, and I was building a team that I didn't expect to have them on, I'll take them almost every time. If it's a player that's slipping that I didn't really want anyway, then I'll just let him keep slipping. Like if Julius Randle falls 10, 12 spots past his ADP. I still don't want him on my fantasy team. Uh, but if I'm in this, like, you know, middle of the third round, and uh, let's see, who's might be a guy that, that slips a little bit. Like, if it gets to pick... You know what I saw in the mock we did on Monday? Paul George went at, like, pick 36. I, I don't... I'm not setting out to draft Paul George, and I sure as bleep, you know what, I'm not taking him at 28 or 29 where his ADP is right now. But if he falls like seven or eight slots deeper than that, I would strongly consider it. He's an example of someone I would go, oh yeah, okay, I didn't think that he would come to me here. I'd pick 36, 37, 38. But crap, as long as he's here, I'm going to go take him. Uh, but there's other guys that, again, as probably you work a little farther down the board, if they fall really far and I didn't want them, I still don't want them. Dem Birds, don't worry about hogging the chat, man. If you got good questions, let's hit them. Uh, Dem Birds says, I see Booker wanting to compete for MVP this year. Suns are still his team, and he'll have an argument for the award if they dominate. Yeah, he won't win the award with on a team with uh, with Kevin Durant on it as well. I mean, um, and if he's in the mix for it, that means that the other guys on his team are probably badly hurt. So I don't think that we want that. If we want the Suns to win, we kind of want them all to be upright. So there will be a lot of vote splitting there. It, it won't. I don't think he's going to get the MVP. Um, by this argument, you could see him playing in more games because a lot of guys need to get to that 65-game threshold now for various all-NBA stuff. So um, on, on that front, I agree. He probably does play the most games of those guys. Uh, but I don't think that his numbers are going to be up there with the Giannis's and the Jokic's and even the Embiid's. Uh, just absurd out-of-this-universe numbers. I also see the Suns struggling a bit. 
specifically the first month, two months of the season as these guys try to figure out how to play together with like a crap ton of veterans minimum dudes all trying to do the dirty work, but no real chemistry or ro- or rotations. It's hard to build chemistry when everyone on the team is new. So I, I don't think the Suns are going to have one of the like top two or three records in the NBA. Um, and I think he's going to have to do a lot of sharing. So I, I don't see the stats bearing this out, but it does help with the games played argument for, you know, will he get to like 66 to 69 games? I, I, I think there's a, a path to that. Rui asks, stupid question. Don't say that. I, uh, I had a, a professor in college. His name was Asad Abu Khalil. I still remember him. He's like a, a big time authority on, uh, like Lebanese and Middle Eastern politics. And he, he taught a seminar at Cal uh, and there were kids in the class that would often start their questions with, this is a stupid question, and he berated them. Never say that. Ask your question with conviction. So, Rui, no. Not a stupid question. Let's see what it is, though. If you draft punting something, how can you compare with other teams that are punting a different category? So I guess my question to that is, why? Um, you kind of can't worry about that in the heat of the draft, but if you mean after, I guess, then you're like, okay, well, am I good enough in specific categories to beat this other punt team in five categories? That's a reasonable thought. Uh, During the regular season, I would say stick with your one punt, and then as you approach the playoffs, provided you have a good playoff position, you know, especially if you can get like a top two seed, which would be fantastic in head-to-head, then you start to punt more stuff. As you get later in the year, you're punting one thing on draft night. Great. You've built a team that's very strong in six things and okay in a seventh thing and like mediocre in an eighth and awful in a ninth or whatever. As you get closer to the playoffs, you look at that other team that's also punting and say, okay, now I got to stack myself up and make sure that I can win just five categories. So make this an evolution for you, Rui, over the course of the year. Don't worry about it so much on draft night. Deal with it as the season progresses. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is your show. Great questions from the chat room today. I love it. We got that all on the recorded pod as well. Again, please do hit that thumbs up button. Really appreciate you guys. Subscribe to YouTube. Drop the five stars on iTunes or Spotify. And most of all, follow me on Twitter at Dan Bespris, D-A-N-B-E-S-B-R-I-S. I will see you all over on social. I want to try to do a mock tonight. I don't think it's going to happen, though, based on scheduling. So we might end up doing two shows tomorrow. We'll see. This is a tough week for me. Bear with me, guys. We'll get through this one. Uh, But you know what? We got one damn show out today. Huzzah! I'm Dan. This is Fantasy NBA Today, a sports ethos presentation. You can see the logo on the screen. See you guys tomorrow. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.